0: Welcome to HyperGen Sales Leaders Podcast, the show that equips you with the cutting edge strategies, wisdom, and inspiration to become a top-notch sales leader in today's ever-evolving business landscape. I'm your host, John Mansoor, and each episode will bring you in-depth conversations with sales trailblazers, industry experts, and thought leaders who have mastered the art of leadership and revenue generation. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting your journey, join us as we unlock the secrets to sales success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to HyperGen's Sales Leaders Podcast. Today we'll be speaking with a sales leader from Nicholson Manufacturing. Nicholson designs and builds some of the world's finest ring debarkers. And joining me today from Victoria, BC is their Director of Capital Sales, John Jennings. John, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, good to have you on. Would love to start off by maybe just gathering a little bit more context about your role at Nicholson and how you landed there.
1: My role here is Director of Capital Sales, has me overseeing basically sales of our equipment, the machinery that goes into the mill for our uh, global operations. So I oversee a small sales team that are specifically assigned to the sales department, and then we have a whole bunch of service slash um, regional managers that are a dotted line to me so those guys are more in the field on a day-by-day basis whereas the sales guys will take over some of the more complex issues but yeah our reach is primarily north america europe but we've got machines all over the world yeah and then we've got an aftermarket director that looks after Service and and part sales for the for the equipment after that, but mine is basically getting that Toyota into your into your garage and and then passing it on to the aftermarket department.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And would be curious too about your sales career in general. Love to ask all our guests guests why sales was it something you chose from the get go? Was there a reason for it? Was it by accident? Maybe a little bit more serendipitous, or what did that look like?
1: Purely by accident, I left school in New Zealand and became a car mechanic. And then through an evolution of car mechanics, the big overseas experience, you travel overseas, I went from New Zealand to the UK and moved into aviation. Through aviation, moved into continuous improvement, took me to oil and gas, but all in technical background type stuff. And then when we decided to move out here to Vancouver Island, I'd been managing three branches of, of a heavy equipment Dealer selling Bobcats, I didn't actually sell, but I was close enough to the environment that when someone came headhunting for a regional sales manager here, something must have spoken in the resume. So I've got to say, I was was pretty nervous at first, accepting, even going down the the interview process for a sales role, when I never really considered myself a a salesperson per se. What is the old Wolf of Wall Street, sell me this pen has never been my shtick. But what I do find, particularly in this environment, this is more of a relationship-based sales, and I'm pretty good with relationship. I must have done something right in the last few years here. But generally speaking, no, never thought I wanted to be a sales guy. I always thought I was too honest to be in sales, right? <laughs> but here we are.
0: Excellent. i always fascinated to just gather some insights on everyone's background, and especially in sales leadership, it seems like. A lot of the times it is serendipitous or happenstance or the opportunity presented itself at the right time. Very cool. And just based on your experience, I know you've been in your current role for about two years and you've been yep. at Nicholson for five or six years, but would be curious to hear what strategies you found to be the most effective for generating new leads and in closing deals in your field.
1: Yeah, so Nicholson's been around for 75 years in the realm of ring debarking. And ring debarking is a very specific type of debarking, as I've since learned and in getting into this industry, different trees, different bark. There's, there's a whole world out there that goes beyond going down to Home Depot or Lowe's and buying a two-by-four. And as such, with the equipment being so specific, it's not, and I hate to devalue vacuum cleaner salesmen, but when we're not going door-to-door, knocking on everyone's door and trying to sell you a new product that maybe you don't need. Generally speaking, it's big capital equipment, anywhere from half a million to two and a half million dollars. So most of the most of the sales are generated by by the mill or the company themselves. So they come knocking on our door. <clears throat> That's not to say that we don't have competitors though. We have not only competitors within the ring environment, I'll say that we've got 65, 70% of the market because we've got a good product, but we've got competitors for different types of debarking in different portions of the industry. So what's our sales strategy? Our sales strategy has been one whereby if you want a ring debarker, we're here for you and we'll sell you a ring debarker, partly because we've been one of the few ones that have built it. But now it's changing because there are different types of technology coming into the market that we're starting to position ourselves as not only the ring debarker expert, but the debarking expert. And so I'm pushing my guys to say, Hey, look, just because a customer doesn't want to ring debark, It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be talking to them because eventually you you have a customer that might have three, four, five, 15 different mills. They might have board mills. They might have laminate mills. They might have paper mills somewhere along the line that customer may or may not need our type of ring debarker. i'm looking to position ourselves as debarking experts generally and not working so much on on selling our product but selling the advice to a customer or a potential customer whereby he says you know what thanks for that i'm going to go now and buy appropriate piece of technology, whether that be a competitor, but we've had people come back and said, you know what? We've bought their product. They did a great job, but you were the guys that pushed us in that direction. So it's been antithesis. We're not necessarily selling our product. We're selling information. And then it becomes keeping up the relationships. It's We've had that guy come knocking on our door. Let's follow up again. Let's put it back into the three-month cycle and just say, how did you go? Is there anything else that we might be able to help you with? We've got a lot of Contacts within the industry. So you're not just buying our product, you're buying an in-feed and an out-feed deck. Uh, You might be buying a sawmill as well, and we can put people in touch with those people. The partnerships that we're building up with those other companies and the ability that we give them to work with us more easily means that if we've got someone going out to buy a sawmill, that integrator may say, actually, you know what? Nicholson's got really good debarkers. I like to say that. I like to be competitive in the marketplace, but I don't want to be combative. And if someone else has got a better product, then we'll say that. But then how do we take that? We take that into our own engineering department and say, how come we're not as good? So those are some of the strategies that we're using right now or trying to develop. Because up until now, we've had a good product. I worked for Mercedes-Benz and BMW. I remember it was early 80s selling mercedes-benz or working on mercedes-benz but when they were selling them they used to say we need a cup holder for the american market and the germans would say cup holder you don't need a cup holder you're driving it you're not eating in it lo and behold there's probably half a dozen cup holders in the Benz right now so we need to adapt we need to drop the arrogance of being a company that's had 65 percent market share for 75 years so we need to evolve too
0: yeah that I love that point too, and and it, it almost flows very naturally into the next question I was thinking of, which, and you've alluded to it to an extent already, so if there's a little bit of overlap, sure. no problem at all. But when it comes to staying up to date on industry trends and changes, would be curious how you stay on top of that, maybe from a preemptive approach, and and how you incorporate some of those changes, adaptations, that knowledge basically into your sales strategy.
1: So that's an interesting Question two, because right now, this is something that we're looking for 2024. Uh, Trees haven't changed much in in centuries, right? However, the technology is changing and it's changing very quickly. As I said, I I think we had a degree of arrogance about us recently that the rest of the mill is there with lasers and scanners. And I'm not sure if people appreciate, but when a log comes into a mill, in some cases, It literally goes through a CT scanner. They assess the log, they determine how much product can we get out of it? Whether it's two by fours, four by sixes, and then it gets parked off and driven out into a log yard again and left there. Three months later, that comes back in. They know exactly which log it is and into the mill it goes. What's our machine do? Just takes the bark off it. So we're not concerned um, necessarily about the log diameter of it, but we're saying actually because the log is the first piece of machinery into the mill, why don't we incorporate the scanners for it? So now we're looking to say, what tech do you have downfield that we can bring into the debarker to provide you with all of this advanced information in an effort to be more efficient, the rates at which things need to be scanned and assessed and sorted and, and debunked, all of this has to happen. So if we can start saying, Hey, can we provide you with extra? services within our what is in essence a a pretty brutal piece of equipment can that give you extra advantages downstream so up until this point i would say much like the mercedes-benz example we've told people what they need you need to take the bark off and this is what you need to do i've now started going out getting the team to say look let's start finding or identifying the the issues that the customers are having and seeing if, if we can be any part of that solution when i worked in the oil and gas industry we used to have uh, a mantra that was like a, bring into the office a, a new idea every day for improvement In many cases we're not all da vincis we're not all inventors but we on the other on the flip side we can all identify when something hasn't gone and so i'm now saying to the guys rather than trying to come into a, us 50 years ago we were the inventor we produced the product but now we need to say How can we evolve our product? And so the question then becomes, what problem can we solve for you? Do you have problems? Give me your list of problems and let's see what we can identify and check off. So that's the evolution from selling a new physical product. But the next phase two for us is we've got a product that is worth, like I said, let's say a million dollars, but we've got. A product that lasts for 20 to 30 to 40 years after that. And we've got aftermarket consumable sales for those next 25 years. Now, one of our big issues is facing competitors in the aftermarket industry that they don't have to invest in a $2 million piece of equipment, but they might be selling a few knife tips or O-rings and so on and so forth. How do we keep those guys from basically eating into us for the next 20 years? So. I, I look at it as saying, not only is my capital sale going to be for the piece of equipment, but let's encourage them into almost a subscription service for parts and service going on to that and recapture our guys keep going in there on a regular basis. So it's not just selling your Toyota, it's selling the Toyota and the service to go with it. But it's challenging, uh, for sure. Regional markets, you get pirates and in Asia, knocking off parts, but so again, it's convincing people about the quality of our product as well. So we've got a lot of facets, a lot of areas that we can work on in the sales avenue with us that I don't think we've exploited in the past because we've been a little fat, dumb, and happy before or up until this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And appreciate the insights there. When it comes to your sales process as well, would be curious to hear... I know you mentioned that a lot of the clientele come to you, but as far as keeping in touch with other prospects and even clients for those upselling natural maintenance and all of that as the years go on, what do you find works best keeping in touch? What strategies, methodologies, whether it's a frequency or even tools from a technical perspective that you incorporate? I would be curious how you continually refine that sales cycle.
1: Yeah, everyone's heard of Salesforce. Salesforce drives out our sales department and our contacts, but the, the biggest thing in this industry is getting in front of the customer. They're very much relationship based. They love to see you. I will say the industry is one where it doesn't get a lot of, it's not a sexy industry to be in, so to speak. So people see sawmilling and they still think that people are cutting down with chainsaws. They don't want Johnny going there. They want him going to uni uh, and getting an engineering degree. But I'm trying to convince people to say, hello, it is a very high-tech industry and trying to encourage some youth into it. So the problem that we have now is we've got a lot of aging employees in the middle. So a lot of people that are, that are touching 60, 65 years old. And All of these people all lived and breathed coming in, having a cup of tea type thing. So... We still need to have that in the face contact level as the the environment will change and it'll get younger. Then we can do more zoom meetings and, or, or phone calls or, but as it stands right now, we are very heavily centered on making sure that we get into the mills on a regular basis and our service technicians, our sales guys are, are basically set up on regular routes. The, the the issue that we've got to a certain level is there are not that many um, mills being built in, in your own backyard sort of thing. So we do have a, a limited client base, if you will. We do tend to generally revisit the same guys over and over again. And if we've got market share of 65%, and the other guys have got 35, typically speaking, because of the relationships that are being built up, You don't get an entry into those other 35, unless there's a change in personality. We've got guys here that absolutely they can't step foot on a mill, but just because of the relationship strains that they've got, but then you'll find mill manager will disappear. He might age out and a new guy comes in. So we can't not let those contacts drop. But it's very difficult to even encourage my guys to say, you you gotta swing by and just knock on the door for, you know, which is, <laughs> it runs counter to what I said about the vacuum cleaner salesman thing, but you know, it's too easy for our sales guys to be very comfortable with the people that they go and visit. So frequency wise, we like to get in front of people at least, but you know, the, the part sales, uh, our aftermarket team will be in touch with these guys uh, sometimes on a weekly basis at lower levels. So it's a coordination of our front desk staff, our sales guys. And even the strategic level stuff with whether it be engineering or what regional market might we be going after. It really is ear to the ground type of stuff in, in our environment.
0: That makes perfect sense. And would be curious too, to explore the boots on the ground day-to-day aspect of your job, uh, mainly for the benefit of our listenership who are sales leaders, such as yourselves across industries, and even for the founders who tune in as well as far as how you manage the day to day especially when it comes to communication between departments how you relay that from sales to marketing to engineering development and what that looks like either on a daily weekly monthly basis would be really curious to hear basically how you run things
1: yeah i up until this point or yeah up until now or rather up until covid hit we were very much a face to face business the odd phone call but meetings would be held all in meeting rooms. COVID comes along and um, we've got Teams meetings, we've got Zoom meetings, and it becomes very natural, becomes very uh, comfortable to have this type of discussion. So what that's done for us is that, thus being a worldwide company, time zones notwithstanding, we can normally have a scheduled meeting every week where the sales department comes together and discusses who are we talking to with this customer, what project is happening over here. We've got instances whereby one piece of equipment, like as I said, a, a debarker, is a heavy piece of equipment, so no one really wants to move it, but we might find that one guy is preparing to upsize his debarker based on log diet becoming bigger, and we put him in touch with another guy that wants to buy his old debarker to buy a new one. So. By having my sales team talk amongst themselves or in those meetings, they can then say, hey, look, I can help you out here. So the sales team, from that perspective, we always look at who have we contacted? What are the prospects that Go gets, if you will? Is, is this likely to happen this year? Our lead times for projects normally run about 18 months. So by the time we get a quote to the time that we actually deliver a, a piece of equipment normally runs Around 18 months during COVID, we couldn't keep up. Uh, We we were 16 weeks. We literally take a phone call. I needed a barker and out it would go. So we were very much in the order taking business, but now we've come back to the cycle of regular meetings, regular contact. And then we take from that, we go cross-functional and we take it into the aftermarket teams and the engineering teams. And so down the pipeline, we've got these things. Supply chain had been a huge issue for us. So once upon a time, we might've worked in isolation. Certainly I know from the car industry, the guys that sell stuff out the front, Benzers and BMW would be going up the front and we wouldn't know what was happening in the back end, we just fixed people's cars. But, but in this industry, there's a lot of cohesiveness within our teams, particularly too, because with the, as I've mentioned, the industry is small. We've got quite a few conventions that a lot of teams attend. So we know the personalities in the industry we we'll normally get a heads up that there's budget coming down the pipeline for a piece of equipment, and we can start preparing. So those meetings are, are held on a weekly basis. Uh, the phone is, uh, and, and um, we can be pinged any time of the day, but, but we've got our scheduled Tuesday meetings. Uh, globally, uh, I take that in. We've got representatives in Brazil. We've got representatives in uh, Spain, Chile. Uh, Belgium those ones are taking a little bit offsite just because of the time difference thing and and we talk to those agents and find out what's going on where I gotta say uh, um, beyond just the mechanics of, of building a project somewhere um, it's a hellishly exciting industry to be in because there are so many geopolitical aspects of the business as well and listening to some of the, the pods as well.
0: Uh, of course, yeah. I appreciate the insights into some of those aspects as well. And, and I think one thing that our listenership is always interested in when it comes to eventually growing or expanding a sales team for the other sales leaders across various industries, what are some things you look for when it comes to hiring sales talent, whether it be for the purpose of expanding a sales team, training a current team, or replacing, let's say, even an aging team out of necessity? What are some attributes you look for when going about that process?
1: It's so interesting because I do have an aging sales team. Succession planning is a focus for 2024. I'm not losing people overnight, but I need to prepare for the change. Again, coming back to the the shape of this industry, we've got so many guys in a service slash sales environment that our service guys, much in the same way as like the, the car mechanic, car mechanics tend not to have as many direct interactions with the customers. Our service guys are constantly in front of the customer, but they've come into this field that they've been a a welder or a machinist, and they're not armed with the skills to sell necessarily. So they'll try and keep a machine alive for a long time. And sometimes keeping a machine alive isn't the cleverest thing, not only for us, who wants to sell a piece of equipment, but for the owner themselves. So we're bringing these guys actually all up here to, to Victoria. I say next year, it's almost next year in February, but with that, the bent on saying, Hey, look, here's some sales techniques or relationship techniques that you can use because we need to evolve the manner in which these guys interact with the mills. So normally they'll be interacting with the mill at a, let's say like for like level. So it'll be our service technician with the mill service guys. But I want them to be able to go into the mill and be confident to get in front of the purchaser or the production manager or the operations manager and have those conversations. The, all these guys are clever guys. It's just that they're not used to having that kind of interaction. And so I'm trying to multifacet, multitask, in essence, a, a department that's not really mine, but for my benefit in this department. To have a pure sales guy having come out of that role 2018, 2019 here, it was pretty quiet. Right. Let's get in front of the customer. Let's let's make work here, if you will. Whereas these service technician guys, or, or seeing the, the 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 cross functionality of them, and having them get out there, I think we can far utilize them. We can give them an opportunity then to to say, hey, look. At a certain point, when you find the physicality of working on the tools, you've got an avenue to come into a sales department, which is I shouldn't say it's cushy by any means, but it's it's certainly less physical than they are. Uh, operations that they're currently at. But out of that, not every one of them wants to do that either. So I'm not going to go out there and tar everyone with a brush and say, this is what you must do. If you don't want to, let's make the most of what you are interested in doing. Oh, when I moved into my role, I, I literally hired my replacement. So out of the team that I've got, I didn't really want to hire another sales guy because I thought I was doing a pretty good job in that role. What I needed to replace me because I wasn't moving out of the building, was more of a technically-minded salesperson. So the person that I I replaced, great relationship guy, and I think that would be the primary factor. Can you hold a conversation, number one? But number two, I don't need necessarily the ideas guy all over again. I need some some guy that's going to provide me with some structure. So whilst I'm off, look at the next unicorn, This guy's dude, man, John, unicorns don't exist. Let's keep it real. So I'm looking for a balance throughout the team of if I've got some questions that might relate to the performance or the specification, we can direct them to one member of the team. So we've got a team that's not all just out there trying to flog you something. So it's primarily how can they relate to people? How can we have a conversation? Because the industry is very... Very different in many respects to, and I, I keep coming back to the car industry. When you've got someone walking in the door, we're not putting them into the, into the Corolla. But the industry is very niche. So they need to have a, a decent concept of what the pulp and paper industry, the wood industry, the barking industry is about. So that would be a, a facet, but that's purely technical. But more importantly, it's read the room, right? If you're going to talk to the old timer, talk to the old timer. So... That's the huge factor and then multitask everyone uh, or or give them the degree of multitasking that they want or need because we don't want to push anything on it that that would end up in failure. And that doesn't mean that that we just pander to whoever wants to come in and just make them do or allow them to do whatever. But um, certainly if they want to, to deviate from the role a little bit, have at it. The end of the day is if they're happy, the company will be happy and the customer, more importantly, will be happy.
0: Definitely. That's great. And yeah, I think there's a lot of key points in there that our listenership would be pretty interested in and even projecting ahead a little bit. I always like to ask when it comes to things or events or challenges that you see facing your industry in the coming years, if any, would be interested to hear about how you anticipate or can maybe like preemptively adapt to, to handle some of those.
1: Yeah. So I will say we're I I touched on it a little bit, it's getting people into the industry. I mentioned being or wanting to position ourselves as, as the debarking expert in the world, but I also want to position ourselves in, in one of two ways. The industry is an exciting industry for young people to, to be looking at and considering from a technology perspective, from a, an endurance perspective because as the world swings a little bit more and, and this is going to sound like a bit of an oxymoron i think or, or it's going to be counterintuitive the, the thing is the industry is or the world is pushing toward more uh, sustainable initiatives at the same time you've got people saying well, don't go cutting the trees down because you're ruining the environment and yet in many countries we talk old growth trees particularly, or people think that, but in many countries, uh, the timber industry is just a crop, no different to planting soybeans. Here in BC, it takes 100 years for a tree to grow. That turns into old growth pretty fast, but down in New Zealand, it can be 15, 20 years. The rotation happens pretty quickly. So, So, I think some of the challenges that we're facing is a workforce that doesn't understand how good this industry can be. And how long you can be in this industry for, but also the environmental aspects. So we've we've got two fronts. We've got to sell the environmental benefits of building with timber, but also undo the fact that we're, we're cutting down trees. If I were to, to say, what are the things that Nicholson is going to do going forward? The debarker sales will come, like that will happen. We need to start selling. Against the challenges of, are we going to have someone to actually build our debarkers in this industry? If everyone decides they want to go off and write code for Call of Duty or sell stuff on Amazon, right? We also need to to appreciate that. In order to build an environmental home, we're going to have to we're going to have to plant and cut down trees. So, if I can get us out into the the public's mind to say this is a a good business or a good area segment of the industry to be in that's doing good work for all the right reasons, that'll be a benefit for me. Mm-hmm. So we always have cyclical industries uh, or, or or a cycle well, of uh, valleys and peaks. So I don't see those as challenges because they happen. They've been going on for you know, 50 years. The reason I, I also don't see it as a challenge so much is though I want to level those troughs out a little bit, I think we've got some initiatives in place, such as the ongoing subscription service for parts that we can offset to make sure that our dips don't get quite so deep. So the biggest challenges for me are workforce challenges and that environmental aspect, the economic ones I'm not as concerned about because they have always been there. So I don't see it as a, I don't see there's a challenge in the form of a threat. I see there's a challenge in the let's see what we can do better. So they're improvement opportunities rather than challenges.
0: Absolutely. John, it's been great hearing about your sales leadership experience and all the insights that that you've brought to the table. I think it's been very interesting and I want to thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. It's fun. Amazing.